media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Last week we talked about how could Paul have a joy, a rejoicing in the midst of suffering. And you know, I know sometimes when we look at the spiritual elements of, of different things, it's kind of easy to be, start to believe that, that perhaps, okay, that's, that may work for some people, but it doesn't work for me. And this morning, I, I want us to be able to really see that there are two ways that, that Satan really is going to attack us. And even if you have been a believer for just a couple of weeks, months, or years, or if you've been a, a, a believer, it seems like almost all your life, that you trusted Christ as your Savior and His redeeming work when you were a child, that these are the two areas that I believe that Satan really, really wants to work on. And that one is that somehow to uh, get us to underestimate the power of the blood of Christ, how it truly can forgive us of every sin, how it begins to give us, you know, this life everlasting. The other thing is the sovereignty of God. Those are the two things that I believe that if Satan could just kind of put a fraction in our mind, if he could start to separate, it would be the power of the cross, the power of what Christ has accomplished, and then the sovereignty of God, that he is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-wise. And all these other characteristics that we see kind of coming under this head of the sovereignty of God. And so this morning we're going to see the application of those things as we progress in Philippians. Turn to Philippians uh, verse 1. But before I can, um, before I do kind of progress on there, do you remember the three questions that come to our, uh, most of the time to our natural mind that we talked about last week when suffering comes to our house uh, and to our own family and to, to us personally? It's three whys. Why me? Why now and why this? And in no particular order, <laughs> but that we begin in our natural state to do that. Well, today we're going to see kind of some answers to that, that that Paul has for the foundation of his life. And I want you to know that as we look at this, again, one of our temptations is to make Paul this great hero. I trust you, all the grace, all the power, all the faith, all the things that Paul had are available to you through Jesus Christ and through the Holy Spirit. He's, is he heroic? Is he, you know, somebody who's kind of, you know, if you want to say the Hall of Fame of faith? Yeah, you know, we see his heroic actions, but it's not him, the hero. And the minute that we would put Paul way up here and say, okay, that was Paul, but, you know, I'm not Paul, we have diminished the work of Christ working in our lives individually. Guys, as we've said many times, I don't need to be heroic as long as I know the hero, Christ Jesus. Keep that in mind this morning because as suffering comes into our lives, it, it's going to hit us. And those three questions, where they come out immediately or where they come out in some form or fashion, we are going to ask, you know, why this? Why me? And why now? Couldn't be worse timing. Does God have an answer to that? He does. It's the hope that we have in Christ, that he's always working. You know the difference between a wish and a hope? Now, again, Webster's is going to give us a definition of those. But have you ever thought, you know, sometimes we see those as synonymous and, and they really aren't. A, a wish is, uh, according to Webster, you know, uh, is something that's not likely to happen. Very random in nature. For example, I wish I had a Lamborghini. Have you ever wished that you had a Lamborghini or something like that? And it's one of those things that we kind of think, okay, that's how, what hope is. Now, hope, unlike a wish that is very random and is very likely not to happen, 
Hope has the possibility to happen and is purposeful in nature. Christ has not, God has not asked you and I to be wishful people. Okay, God, I'm just praying and I'm wishing this will happen. No, he's asked us to be hopeful people. What's the difference? One is just kind of random, just kind of as things would enter our mind, we would wish this. Hope is what we have because we believe that God truly is sovereign over all things. And I make that distinction this morning that hope is very different from a wish because sometimes I think even in our prayers and even in our spiritual kind of longings, we kind of come to God with a wishing attitude. God, I wish this would go away or I wish you would do that or I wish... And it's kind of this mentality that, okay, God, I, I don't know if you can or not. I don't know if it's right, but I wish it could. No, biblical hope, what we see Paul expressing last week, and we see it continue when he said, you know, to, to live is Christ, to die is gain. He's not being flippant. He's not trying to come both up with little quotes that we could 2,000 years later say, well, that would sound good on a Sunday morning. That would look good on a bumper sticker. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Sounds great and heroic, but is it a wish or is it a hope? Philippians 1.21, Paul says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And when we really grasp that, church, when we really begin to understand that, we will understand and grasp the real meaning of hope. Now remember, at this time, Paul is under arrest and chained to a Roman elite guard. Uh, uh, he may be in a formal prison. He may be under house arrest. One of the great mysteries of the, the New Testament is that we do believe that Paul was actually in prison in Rome at two different times. And in Acts, I think it's Acts 28, it talks about how Paul uh, seems to be kind of supplying for his own needs. and But he's under arrest, but it's kind of like what we would call a house arrest. There is a time that we know that he's in prison very much. And what throws us here is that we don't know which of these two it is. Um, when, when, he, when he talks about being in chains, that could kind of fit both. But Paul is in prison. He doesn't have the freedom to go out there and just preach the gospel. He very much, as we found out last week, the Praetorian Guard is there, and they're chained to him 24 hours a day. So whether this is a house arrest, whether this is an imprisonment, one of the imprisonments that he had in an actual jail cell, we don't know, but he's there. And to make matters worse, those those that call themselves Christian preachers, some of them are preaching the gospel wonderfully well, and then others are taking this disadvantage of Paul and this imprisonment of Paul to make fun of Paul. And so, you know, it's kind of like kicking the guy when he's down, we said last week. And so Paul has a lot to, if you want to say, be depressed, concerned with, overwhelmed with. And yet in the midst of these, he said, I rejoice. I rejoice. God is working. Hero? Wishful thinking? Or is this a hope that you and I can have as non-heroic people because we know the hero, Jesus Christ. We know Christ. So in the midst of this, can we have this? Can we rejoice even in times of suffering? Can we have a hopeful attitude? Not just, okay, the sun will come out tomorrow kind of little Annie kind of attitude, but that we can really have a biblical faith that God is always working things for his glory and for our eventual good. See, that helps me a lot. 
then I have to begin to understand what God's good is as opposed to my good. Have you ever wondered about that? God, I don't see how you can bring good out of this at all. And God says, well, my good and your good is two different things. I'm working both for my glory, but also your maturity and and how you're going to grow more and more sanctified, more and more and understand, growing more and more to look and reflect Jesus Christ. I'll be the first to say that's not always my ambition. I just think wants things to work out. And so what do we learn here? Paul's conclusion in verse 18 was that as long as the gospel was being preached, when he was talking about these preachers that were kind of making fun of him, that he was good. Look what it says again where we left off last week. Philippians 1, verse 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, in that I will rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. He makes a definite choice there. He says, I I choose to respond to these elements, the fact that I'm in prison, that these other guys are out there preaching the gospel, what I want to do, and that there are actually many of them making fun of me. I choose to rejoice. Now, based on verse 18, do you think Paul was more wishing or hoping? Is this a wish? I I wish, I kind of wish things will turn out. I I wish that they're all going to... Or do you think that he has a hope? For the most part, when we begin to see that he's got joy and rejoicing, it's, it's not just some random wish, but it's a purposeful hope. In fact, look at verses 19 and 20. We begin to see more and more of the foundation in the formation of this hope. Verse 19, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Circle that word deliverance. Verse 20, As it is my eager expectation and hope, I think we just answered our question, that I will not be at all ashamed but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. That's the kind of stuff that heroes say. But is he just being heroic? Because if he's just being heroic, guys, if he truly is just a hero of the faith, and he has this amazing faith, then somehow we're going to kind of start wishing we could be heroic rather than hoping that we could be heroic in the same power that Christ had. I'm not trying to be confusing. I'm not trying to play board games. Guys, this is really, really important. Because we're either going to be, at the end of the day, we're going to be either wishers or we're going to have a foundation of hope built on not our ability, but on the work that Christ has already accomplished, on the promises of God, ultimately that God is sovereign over all things. It's one of those things we don't think about all that much when things are kind of going our way. In the business of life, when things are halfway working together, it, it kind of makes sense. Okay, God, well, you know, I, I thank you for sending Christ to die on the cross. And God, I know that you're sovereign over all these things. This word sovereignty and this thought that God is sovereign over all things, when things are going halfway decent, just makes sense. It's that curveball. It's that... All of a sudden, our life has this splinter. All of a sudden, there's a divide. All of a sudden, there's a crack, and it begins to get bigger and bigger. All of a sudden, there's an eruption of our regular life. And all of a sudden, we're going, okay, God, why me? Why this? And why now? 
as we look to the scripture, I want you to notice two things in these verses that are relevant to our discussion this morning. Does Paul know exactly how everything is going to turn out? No. He doesn't know whether he's going to about to get his head cut off the next day. We know eventually he's beheaded or he dies a martyred death. He, he doesn't know when that's coming. It's not like there's a trial set for next month. Paul doesn't know that, or at least we're given no indication that Paul knows the exact details. But God has told him that he's going to give his life for the gospel. And so Paul does know that he's dealing with the reality that he has to respond to. This isn't theory. This is actuality. Being a Christian and having hope is great in theory. I mean, when you're just talking about it, when you're a counselor to somebody else, isn't the theory of hope really easy? Well, you just, I mean, you just need to trust Christ. You just need to trust Christ. And all of a sudden, when that happens to you, all of a sudden affliction comes and suffering comes your way, then all of a sudden it's not theory, but it's reality. It's like, okay, God, come on, you, you got to fix this. Paul doesn't know what's happening. That's very important. Number two, does Paul hope that God is going to use this for his glory? Based on these verses. Okay. He doesn't know what's going to happen. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or death. Does he think, God, somehow you're going to use this? And he has this full confidence. Folks, when we begin to grasp this, when we begin to understand the full weight of what Paul says in that verse 21, that famous verse, for me to live as Christ and die is game, but we begin to understand where his real hope was. You see, out of all the unknowns that were happening in Paul's life, his joy came from his knowns. Your life and my life will always be a mixture of knowns and unknowns. Would you agree with that? Would you agree with that, you know, philosophically, just in humanity? Would you agree with that theologically? That even as Christians, there's going to be a lot of things in our life we just don't know. For example, and not trying to be silly or anything, do you know that you're even going to be on this earth next week? You don't. I mean, we can have plans to do that. And we can make plans months in advance. We can make vacations and we can have plans for this and that. And and we are hoping that that's going to happen. And yet, the Bible says very clear that every day is a gift. We don't know. But what do we know? That there's a sovereign God who's over all things. Your life and my life, the future from, from this day on, guys, is a mixture of knowns and unknowns. Where do you think the evil one wants you to place your mind and your heart? The knowns or the unknowns? Where do you think your own human nature, your own fallen nature tends to gravitate if you're not careful. The unknowns. I mean, would you agree that this is how you live? Because maybe Carly and I are, are the only two in the whole entire church that struggle with the unknowns. Maybe everybody else has got it figured out. Okay, sirrah, sirrah. What will be, will be. I just haven't found that as I have ministered over the last 41 years that most people are coming from that, that our human nature 
And the evil one, even to those believers, want to plant the question mark much more than the definitive finished work of Christ in our hearts and minds. But the answer here isn't that all of a sudden God makes all the unknowns known. Do you think that God's ever going to do that in your life? Do you think that he's always going to make all the unknowns that you have to deal with on a a regular basis, the unknowns about your family, the unknowns about, will my children marry well? Will will I be a grandma or a granddad one day if you're not at this? I mean, those are a lot of unknowns, and those are exciting unknowns. But then there's also the unexciting unknowns. I get it. So what's going to happen with, the doctor said that I'm sick. I just said that, you know, if we do these procedures, then, then maybe they can fix it. But, but, you know, there's a 50-50 chance. How do we respond to the unknowns? Do we just ignore them? I don't think that's both uh, uh, humanly possible and I also don't think that that's realistic. Paul is not being unrealistic. Remember the list that I read from you last week about how he had... Uh, uh, been stoned and whipped and beaten, shipwrecked and snake bit and all these different things in prison over and over again. Paul's coming from a very, uh, a life that's been challenged. And here he's dealing with the unknowns. But does he focus on the unknown? Hey, I don't even know if I'm going to be here tomorrow, guys. <laughs> don't know. No, as he responds to the Philippians, as he writes to them, he writes not out of the unknown part of his future but out of the known part of his future. That's what, that's what we see here. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. He's going to be set free. What, what is deliverance there? And could I ask you this? Is God's form of deliverance maybe different from your form of deliverance? Just like your form of good, God, here's what I see good. Give me a better job, twice the pay, and only work three days a week. That could be your form of good if you're finding financial difficulty. And God said, no, here's the good that's going to come out of it. And he could have a whole nother path, a whole nother road. Paul's dealing with a lot of unknowns, but he puts his faith, uh, his faith back into those things that he knows. Look at the next verses. Verse, uh, I'm sorry, look at uh, verse 19 to 20 again. What does he know? He knows that this will turn out for his deliverance, whether, verse 20, whether by life or by death. What are the unknowns? He doesn't know if he's going to found, be found innocent or guilty. He doesn't know if he's going to be released or further in prison. He doesn't know if he's even going to live or die. But in the midst of all those unknowns, he turns to the knowns of God. What's the biggest unknown of your life this morning? Yeah, for our brother Shane, doctors just told him he had cancer. I mean, can you imagine? That's if you've ever been told that before, that's pretty big unknown. And even when the doctor says, "Okay, well, we have great confidence. We caught this early. This is one of the you know we, we have procedures to take care of this." But but what about your life? What's the biggest unknown of your life right now? That that your human nature and the evil one kind of wants to kind of bring your mind to always focus on the fact that you don't know this. You don't have a grasp of this. You don't, you're not gripping it well. 
So I promise you, as we face those unknowns, to turn to the known things of God is going to be a challenge until we really kind of grasp that and, and we wrestle with it. In one way, you could almost say that everything in our lives are, is unknown. Again, we don't know if we're going to be alive next week. Do you know where you're going to be in five years? Just talked to a couple this morning, and they're building, they said they're forever home. Oh, that's kind of cool. You know, they said that uh, sometimes that we'll have as many as three forever homes. Because uh, you thought this was going to be your forever home, and then all of a sudden the circumstances of life, or this happens or that happens. Bottom line, guys, your life, my life, can be filled with unknowns. And yet in those unknowns, what God says is as we respond to those, especially the ones that bring suffering, that bring conflict into our lives, that we turn back and we begin to know. As he says here, I know that this is what God is doing. And all the unknowns, if you are a child of God this morning, that is, if you've placed your faith and your belief in Jesus Christ, you have some knowns in your life. I can't say that about everybody if you haven't trusted Christ. That's not me being mean. That's not me being kind of, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm favoring the the church people over the non-church people or the, the person who hasn't made that decision for Christ. I'm not trying to be cruel. I'm just saying, as a Christian, I have some knowns. Why? Because they're known in Christ Jesus. We sang a song this morning that every promise is... Yes and amen. Through who? Through Christ. This is our hope. But is it a hope for all the world? No, it's a hope for for those who have placed their trust and faith in Jesus Christ. Again, that's not trying to be mean. It's just, folks, when, when we begin to claim these promises of God, these promises of God are based on the relationship that has been given to us because of Christ Jesus and his finished work. It's not just everybody gets this. Yeah, but Bobby, there's a lot of people that are just really sincere. I'm not trying to uh, discount sincerity, but I don't want to elevate it up to salvation, guys. Because you can be sincerely wrong. And that's not being, that's not being judgmental. I'm, I'm just saying, sometimes we have placed such a high esteem for our conclusions. Well, you know, they were sincere. Folks, either you're in Christ or you're not in Christ. And if you're here this morning and you're not in Christ, we would love to tell you about how you can be in Christ. It's not that there are better people and a less better people. No, it's those who have found the grace of God and the gift of God and put their place, their, their faith and trust in that and the ones that haven't. I mean, we get into all the theological discussions of the elect and, and all this, and I'll be glad to have that with you, but, you know, I, I'm still kind of reading John 3, 16. That whoever places their faith in Jesus Christ shall not perish but have everlasting life. I don't know how God works all that out. I just know there's an offering even this morning. But that offering that we see there, that, that Christ has died, Folks, it's not automatic in the sense that just everybody in the world that's born is just going to have all these promises that are in Christ Jesus. No, only those who are in Christ, those who are Christians, can say yes and amen. 
that God has put those answers there for us. Now again, that's the reason I say that is because this word deliverance that Paul uses there, this will turn out for my deliverance. It, the Greek word there is soteria, and it's where we get our word salvation from. So it's very much a salvation word. It's very much a a saved word. You know, when we talk about I was saved, I became a believer, I became a Christian. This would be a word that the Greeks would use there. But it also has a very practical sense to be delivered from something. And theologians have argued back and forth with the use of Paul using this word here. Is he talking about his spiritual salvation or is he talking about that one day he's actually going to get out of jail? I tend to be one of those that as I've read this, I believe that it means both. I believe that it lends itself to both. But but I'm okay if somebody says, no, this is only salvation. Somebody else who's being very practical. Why did he use a, a salvation word then? Bottom line is this. Paul uses this. I think both can apply. And Paul knew that if he were to die in this situation, he was saved and secure in Christ. It had a salvation element to it. But what he says a little bit later on lends me to think that he really thinks that he will get out and he'll continue ministry. Paul tends to lean toward thinking that God is going to set him free from prison and so being delivered in that practical sense that he'll continue on in ministry. How how do we know that? Because of what he says afterwards. But here's the biggest thing that Paul said. Either way, whether I'm going to die or whether God releases me and I continue ministry, I'm okay with both. I preached this uh, passage uh, in kind of moving a couple Easter's ago. I said Easter is that ultimate win-win situation. That is that when we're in Christ, we win either way. I've prayed with many folks going into very, very serious surgeries before, where the doctor said, "Okay, there's a, there's a, this is a dangerous surgery." And I've I've prayed with those people, and I've heard them say, "Hey, Pastor Bobby, I'm in a win-win situation." <laughs> If God brings me through and restores me to health, I'm when I continue on being with my spouse and my children and maybe my grandchildren. But if I, I don't make it through, I win because I'm with Jesus Christ. That's a reality for those who are in Christ. That was a reality for Paul. He, he got into this win-win situation for me to live as Christ. Thumbs up. To die is gain. Thumbs up. And all the unknowns, look at what Paul says that he knows. Look at verse 22. Find the knowns here. If I am to live in the flesh, what does he know? That means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall uh, choose, I, I cannot tell. Why? Because in verse 20, it says, I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Have you ever had those days that you're going, my choice, if I had to make it this second, is to depart and be with Christ, because I know that is far better. Have you ever had those days? Have you ever had those weeks or months? <laughs> yeah. But does he say, okay, this is so much my desire, this is so much what I want, that this other would be a loss? Is that what Paul's saying? No, he said, I win either way. 
If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor in me, which which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. The Greek word there means that you're, you both choices are kind of closing in on you, whether he's going to continue ministry in, in life or whether he's going to die and he's going to be beheaded and he's going to go be with Christ. Now, notice what Paul does say. Which one did he say is far better to be with Christ? Now, why is he saying that? So that he could escape this world? No. He knew that that was the ultimate goal. What's the ultimate goal of your life? The ultimate, ultimate goal. Not, I want to retire by the time that I'm, you know, 47. Or that I want to do this. Or that, you know, those are goals. Those are great to have. Those, that's fantastic. But what's the ultimate goal of your life? When you stand back and you look, a, take a real eternal perspective, what's the goal of your life? Is it not to be with your maker and your creator? And Paul was able to see that. Did he have all the knowns? Figure out now. There's a lot of unknowns. He doesn't know if he's going to escape from prison, but he knows that whether he gets out of that prison or whether he gets his head chopped off, he will be delivered. Do you see that? I, I know I'm going to be delivered. <laughs> maybe right there to the very throne room of God. Or maybe back out on another missionary trip. He said, I don't know. My desire is to depart. I know that's far better. But what I really want, what I really want, and what I really know is that God has a plan. Sovereignty of God, guys, it, it can be very theological in nature, and it is theological in nature. It is, it's one of those grounding theological truths. But it has such a practical side. Because in a life filled with unknowns, it gives us the known of what is the heart of God, what is the power of God, what is the nature of God, and this God, does he know me, and is he involved in my life? When you think of a sovereign God who is powerful over every piece of cosmic dust in the world, and he knows you by name, you're a child of the living God, what does that do in the midst of a life of unknowns? There may be a day, guys, that the only known you have that the only known you have is that God so loved the world that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. There may be some days that's all you've got. Is that enough? Is that one knowledge, is that one know worth the thousand unknowns that life can throw at you? And Paul said, yes. Because he's a hero? No. Because he's put his faith in the hero, Jesus Christ. You understand that? And begin to grasp the difference between a wish and a hope. Christianity isn't wishing that everything's just going to turn out. It's placing our hope, even on the darkest of days, on the promises of God the power of God, the purposes of God, and the plan of God. Which is great when we're counseling somebody else. (laughs) And it's really hard when we're the one that needs to be counseled. Agree? Amen? (laughs) I mean, I can see y'all right now going up to your brother or sister or a loved one or a friend. Man, you know, God is sovereign. (laughs) 
He knows everything. He's got all power over all these things. You just hang on there, dear one. Man, it's so easy to advise people on the sovereignty of God. It is so hard to live. Why? Because all we see is the unknowns. What gives Paul this ability is not being tied to one or the other, but knowing that God has a plan. That's the difference between a wish and a hope. Hope has a purpose behind it. Hope has a foundation. Look at verses 24 through 26. Paul seems to have come to a conclusion, even in his writing. Okay, I'm I'm kind of between the two. I know which one is far better, and I actually desire that one. I'm ready to go be with Jesus. But look what he says in verse 24. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, does that sound like a wish, or does that sound more like a conviction? (laughs) He said, convinced of this, I know, again, the word know there is full knowledge. Not knowledge by experience. There's two Greek words for one is to know by experience. I've, hey, I've kind of figured this out. The other one is full knowledge. It's the one that for those who are part of the Revelation study that we saw uh, John use when he says, okay, God, when he starts calling out the churches and he says, okay, I know your deeds, church of Ephesus. In other words, do you think God has partial knowledge or full knowledge? That's the word that Paul uses here. And all the unknowns, he says, I do know this, and I know it full well, that if I, that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Is he just full of himself? Guys, I don't know what y'all would do without me, so uh, I think God's going to bring me out of this prison so that I can go help you again. Paul doesn't know if he's going to live or die. But it seems here that he's been convicted more and more from the Holy Spirit that God is going to release him. This is where it gets a little mysterious. If this was Paul's first imprisonment in Rome, which many theologians would believe, this is where he wrote the book of Philippians, this, that, and the other, he's under house arrest. About two years later, we believe that he did he did get released there, and he goes out, And he's able to write the the books to Timothy, the letters to Timothy and Titus during that time. In other words, if God, if if we what we think happened, happened, and there were two imprisonments in Rome, God made use of this time for Paul to reach out to Timothy. Can you imagine the Bible without 1 and 2 Timothy, without Titus? I mean, can you imagine the Bible without anything that God wanted to put in there? But... Does God have a plan? Is it just a plan for heroes of the faith? Is it a plan for everybody in the world? Does he have a plan for those that would be able to be called the children of the living God because of the work of Christ and they've placed their trust in him? Go read Acts 28, 30 and uh, verses 30 and 31. And again, you, you figure out, is he under house arrest? Or is he in a prison? I, you know, we can get into all that. The mystery really doesn't matter. There's a lot of unknowns for us even 2,000 years later. But what we know is that Paul, this, look at what he says in verse 25. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you. Paul's confidence was not in the unknowns. There's a lot of them. What he knew 
Three things, guys. You can write these down if you want to. Here's what he knew. God's purposes, God's power to carry out those purposes, and God's promises to make those personal to us. Well, what were the three whys that come to our natural mind when, when suffering happens, when the unknown happens to us? Why me? Why this? And why now? Do you know what anti-venom is? You get bit by a snake and, and so it actually counteracts the, the work that you build up and, you know, and there's different things, you know, what, how, uh, different medicines work. You know, it attacks the, this cell that's not good for you and it goes in there and either destroys it or it counteracts it. The counteraction of the why me, why this, why now? It's the sovereignty of God. That God has a plan. He's got the power to carry out those purposes and he's made those promises intimately to you as a child, his child. Parents, have you ever made a promise to your child and then somehow you you just didn't have the ability to carry it out? We're going to go to Disney World. And then all of a sudden they get all hyped up, you get hyped up. And Is it every intention of your heart to carry through with those plans? And then all of a sudden something happens. This thing called COVID maybe, or, or this happens, or all of a sudden, you know, well, daddy doesn't have a job right now. This wouldn't be wise for us to continue on this path. All the unknowns come in there and start to squeeze out the known that you had planned on. Does that happen to God? Man, I didn't see this COVID thing coming. Sorry. <laughs> Every promise is yes and amen in Jesus Christ. And that's the very place that spiritual warfare is going to attack you. Well, God, you know, I mean, one of the biggest things, I just don't know if I can put my full faith in God. And I'm going, He's the only one you can put your full faith in. Are you tracking with this? I mean, do you you grasp this? Because if you grasp this, all of a sudden we find out that as Christians, we're not wishers. I wish this would happen. We are hopers. But our hope has a foundation. It's in a person. It's in a work. It's in a God who is sovereign over all things. So when we sing songs like, He is sovereign over us, it'll take even those things that were meant for evil, Genesis 15, 20, and He'll work them out for our good. This isn't just, well, I wish that would happen. This is our hope in Jesus Christ. This is our hope in a God who's all-powerful, all-knowing, all-wise. Take all the alls that you know about God, all these attributes, they all rest under this sovereignty. He's got the power to carry it out. I can make plans all day long for Carly and I, for my family and I, my grandchildren. You know how much power I have to really carry that out? Maybe 10%. I figured out by this point in life, there's a whole bunch of unknowns. How many of you are old enough to know that the unknowns are more in number than the knowns? Do we despair? Or do we have hope? Make sense? When the why me, why this? 
right now. And guys, please hear that I'm not discounting the sincerity of those, that I'm not in any way making fun of us. And until you sat across from somebody who just lost their son or daughter, until you sat across from somebody who just unexpectedly, the husband was supposed to come home and he didn't come home that night because of a traffic accident, until you sat across and you've ministered in real life, I'm not making fun of the why me's and why this and why now. I'm saying there's a reality to them. But there's a biblical answer. And it's the sovereignty of God. A God who has a plan and his purpose and he has the power to carry that out. He's not making empty promises. Hey, one day, Disney World. Oh, sorry, we're going to have to retract that. Some things changed. That's why Paul, let me ask you, do you believe that God is always working his purposes for his glory and for your good? Do you believe that? Do you believe that God has the power to accomplish his purposes? Do you really believe that? Do you believe that God has personalized those promises to you intimately, personally, through Jesus Christ? If you can answer yes to those three, then guys, you can say to live is Christ. To die is gain. I win because Christ has already brought me victory. And you don't have to be the hero. You just need to place your trust in the one who is our hero. Let's pray this morning. Father, we love you. Father, in a world of unknowns, man, we start wishing. We start doing all kinds of things. And yet, Father, you've given us the ability to have a hope, not just a wish. And Father, when we are overwhelmed by the 10,000 unknowns, will you bring us back to the one known that really does solve it all? That you, God, are sovereign over all things. You're all-powerful. You're working for our good. You're working for your glory. And when time delays and we begin to doubt that's really happening, Father, will you bring us back to the simplicity that holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Because if we really get that about you, Father, then all the unknowns really don't matter. Will you hide us in that known this morning, Father? Will you hide us in the fact that you are holy God, holy, 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 sitting on your throne, working out for the eternal ages, Father, your perfect plan that involves even us in a personal way. We love you and we sing this, Father, Number one, because we want to worship you, Father. We want to make this truth claim about you. But Father, we need it in our hearts and our minds. In a world of unknowns, we need to know this morning, before we leave here, Father, that you are holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. We pray this in the name that made it personal to us. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.
Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.